Hey friends, you're listening to the Difference Makers Podcast, and I'm your host, Jamie Mullins. On each monthly episode, we'll have a guest that will give us a peek into what it looks like for them to be a difference maker, a leader in the places God has given them influence. My hope is that it leaves you encouraged to use your gifts, passions, and story to make a difference right where you are. Today we have Brad Lominick with us. Brad, welcome to Texas. Thanks, Jamie. So excited, Do Brad. I have to do it with that sort of like enthusiasm? Welcome to Texas. <laughs> yes, I feel like enthusiasm is needed. It the is, Lone Star yes. State. It is, yeah. It's a great place. I'll give you a yeehaw. Oh, hey, thank you. So Brad was with us for our 10K Tuesday in July and uh, just shared his heart on what it looks like to be a difference maker. And uh, we'll talk a little bit later in our conversation about his newest book. But before we get started with our conversation about being a difference maker, I want to hear... I want our listeners to hear something about you. What's something important for us to know about Brad? Well, I am a, uh, I would say that my, my lane right now is really trying to make a difference in the lives of the next generation. Mm. So when you're in your forties, all the 40 somethings scream, (laughs) scream out loud right now as you're mowing your lawn or doing the dishes or walking in the mall. But I think for me, it's this idea that I want to pull the young, the next generation along with me and then mm. watch them pass me. Wow. And, Good. you know, that's, that's the, that's the kind of difference that seems to bubble up constantly for me mm-hmm. is just being intentional about how do I both invest in, in young leaders, 20 and 30 somethings primarily, but also how do I help them actually get to the mountaintop or up to the scenery where I am now. Mm. And that's, you know, a lot of us, if we're honest, when we get older, we start to protect and we start to, yeah. we don't, we wouldn't, we wouldn't admit this, but we, we actually make ourselves big. And in, in terms of, if you could see me like elbows out right. and Hey, there's not room up here, Yeah. but I want to be just the opposite. I want to actually make room. And sometimes that means that you have to get out of the way mm-hmm. and you have to actually, you know, go back down the mountain mm. and let them have the view. But I think that's, the season I'm in and it's, uh, it's fun. I'm sure it is. Tell me about like your, so you're investing in twenties and thirties. Tell me about your twenties and thirties. Did you have someone that did that for you or was it a felt need that you had that created this urge to pour into next generation? Yeah, I had, I had several people who did that and I wouldn't say I had one, um, but there was several people that working for folks, um, pastors, I had a mentor actually at a place called Lost Valley when I was just graduated from from uh, college at University of Oklahoma, and I went out to this place in Colorado. I was going to stay six months and stayed almost six years, and played cowboy and you know <laughs> wore the Wrangler jeans. I mean, I'm in Texas, wow. and I I ran a 140 horse guest ranch, oh. 250 head of cattle. So I know what I'm doing around the uh, you know the equine <laughs> equine business. But there was a, a gentleman there who was 75 who had started this place. And he was, he was sort of this patriarch of the faith. And he found this guest ranch out in the middle of nowhere and it became sort of his ministry outlet. But it wasn't a Christian ranch. It was a family guest ranch. But um, he mentored me for almost five years and we would meet for breakfast, you know, every Friday morning. And we did scripture memory and we did just a lot of like, I would say life development when you're 23, 24, 25, and you get this 70 something who is now pouring back into you. And you know, that, 
for me, it established my 20s. It really like gave me perspective on what is important for this season of life. And, you know, here again, this, he, nobody would know his name, but he had so much wisdom. And I remember he would always say, your 20s establish your 70s. And here was a 75-year-old man of God telling me that at 24, 25, what I'm doing right now, the, the stuff that doesn't really matter to the world or people don't see it or doesn't feel important, that's the stuff that's going to actually make the most difference when you get to be his age. So and good. I was actually seeing it in him. So with that, the important things that you do in your 20s and 30s that nobody may see that are really what ends up making a difference, what were those things for you? And then what are also probably the same advice you give to the guys that you're pouring into now? Well, the biggest thing is, is uh, spiritual development. I think, I think the foundation of following Jesus, but also the, all the disciplines that go with that. Yeah. They have to be established when you're, when you're in your tens and twenties. Yeah. And that really is the place where you, you have the most margin, you have the most energy, you have, you just have a lot of things in your life that actually give you posture that allows for that to be um, done really well. So that's a, that's, that's the first sort of, you know, massive rock that has to go in the jar. Yeah. Um, The other thing that I would say to twenties right now is don't worry about your what, just worry about your who. Mm. And we, we spend so much energy on the what. Mm-hmm. We spend energy on what are you majoring in? Yes. What are you doing? Yeah. We're, we're asking questions that we're not, trying to, we're not trying to be short-sighted, but the real questions we should be asking in our 20s is who am I becoming? Good. And the what will take care of itself. Yeah. Um, and along that, like with the who, it's also who you're around. Mm-hmm. So I didn't realize the, the amount of wisdom I was getting from this 75-year-old man in my 20s, while I was watching all of my other friends that felt like I was getting behind or, you know, they were out like pursuing their dreams and their careers. But yet, if you ask them, most of them would say, well, the boss I work for or the company I'm with or the, the people I'm around, I don't really even like that much. Mm. They're, they're not pouring into me. I mean, it's yeah. a career path, but uh-huh. um, I would say to 20 something a day, find the who's that it doesn't matter what you're doing. Just figure out like the who you want to be around. So good. And then the what will take care of itself. So good. But we spend so much energy yeah. thinking about the what. Especially the young with our, our school of ministry and just our college, our college ministry. I feel like there is so much emphasis right now on the what and just the pressure to know exactly what I'm going to be doing in the next 10, in the next 15, in the next 20 years. And that pressure actually causes like apathy in making a decision because there's just so much pressure to know exactly what they're going to do. And um, so I think that's a, it's a good figure out who you want to become, but then also who are the people that you're. And now there's so many options. Yeah. The, the longer that time has gone on, the more options there are for your what. Mm. So you can, you know, we're in the gig economy now we're in the freelance generation. You can pretty much do whatever you want to do, or you Mm -hmm. think you can. Uh Uh-huh. But that's actually more paralyzing. Mm-hmm. When you have more options, you just sit back and go, I, it's overwhelming. So yeah. I'm, I'm going to go back, move back home and be in the basement and um, you know, feel like my life has ended. Where if you're th- worrying about more of the who, that's a short list. That, that's, that's, that might be four or five people. Mm-hmm. Um, some people have one or two people you know, that they would look at and go, I just want to be around them. Because mm-hmm. I like the way they lead. I like the way they 
manage. I like who they are. I, I want to see how they raise their families. I want to see how they do deals. I mean, it's all the stuff that you, you get to see when you're, when the person that you admire and who really is hopefully mentoring you, Yeah. even though it may not be breakfast every Friday, <laughs> but the person who's mentoring you, you're actually spending a lot of time around. Um, so again, if you're in your twenties and you're navigating some of this stuff, just think about who is it you want to go travel with? I mean, if you could go on a year long yeah. trip <laughs> and not just for fun, but I mean that you watch them do their craft, you, you watch them and you take notes of their life and you take notes of the way that they do what they do. That's the kind of stuff in your twenties that is revolutionary. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, when they look back, they would say there was that time or that season that really gave me foundation. So good that we just, our CT college pastor actually taught a, a message here this past weekend. And he talked about the rabbi, like the process of becoming a rabbi in the old Testament that you would, you would follow a rabbi so that you could learn how, how to become like them. Mm-hmm. So then in the process of becoming like them, then they would allow you, then they would follow you. So you become like them in the process. So the apprentice model, yeah. it, it is, we've, we've kind of lost the art of the apprentice yeah. and not the apprentice that, you know, <laughs> that our, uh, our now president was famous for, but <laughs> the apprentice of the idea that you learn your craft mm-hmm. by actually going on a journey with somebody. Mm. And that's, you, you watch your father or your mother, or you watch your, you know, again, the person who's, who is going to train you. Mm-hmm. And that's how you sort of pass on this, these, you know, these wisdom pearls. Yeah. And that wisdom, like that's influence. So for us, cross timbers, difference, being a difference maker is all about influence. And I think so often in our culture, we associate leadership with position and with title and where you are in an org chart, whereas kingdom leadership is about influence. Mm -hmm. And so just from what you've experienced, because you're so involved in leadership world, how do you see that playing out? That difference between influence, who I am back to the, who you are and who you surround yourself with versus the positional influence that gets celebrated so often. Well, it's, it's an accurate statement. I mean, I learned it from John Maxwell and he's, he's sort of famous for leadership as influence, mm. nothing more, nothing less. I mean, that's, that's his quote that he kind of built his whole, um, ministry and his book writing career around. Mm-hmm. So I, I truly believe that. And it's more true than ever because, um, there's so many people now who are leading themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Who are freelancers? They're stay-at-home stay-at-home entrepreneurs. They're, um, you know, they're they're project people. They're moonlighters. They're mm-hmm. contractors. So more than ever before, it's interesting. Like the stats right now, forty percent or close to it of the U.S. workforce Whoa. within the next five years will be in some form of gig wow. or contract or freelance environment. Wow. Meaning they might have a full-time job but they're actually going to have a side hustle or they're going to be starting their own business. Mm-hmm. Or, so the more that is happening, the more the idea that leadership isn't about title. Mm. It's not about position. It's not about the corner office. It's not yeah. about hierarchy. It's not about m- working your way up, managing the moment because you're just, you're just trying to get to the next rung. Mm-hmm. That all is going away with yeah. the f- sort of the fall of hierarchy because bureaucratic systems and institutions were kind of built on this premise that um, you, you, you get in an organization and then you basically just try to climb the ladder mm. and you do whatever you need to do to get to the top. And once you're at the top, then, oh, okay, great. Now yeah. I've arrived. 
Um, but that's the other fallacy of this idea that hierarchy or title or a positional authority gives you any sense of street cred. Mm. Because now more than ever, the next generation is saying, just because you're in charge, I don't trust you. Yeah. Actually, I trust you less because you're mm. in charge. So now you actually have to earn respect and earn credibility and earn influence with the next generation because they don't look at you and say, I trust you because you're in charge. Yeah. They look at you and say, okay, you're in charge, but what does that mean? Good. And that, that's a massive like shift yeah. that a lot of, of us who are older in any organizational life, we're having a hard time with because we'll look at a 25 year old and say, well, they're, they're disloyal, they're entitled, they're lazy, they're, um, you know, they're short-sighted. Some of that might be true, mm-hmm. but the reality is this, that they don't look at you and automatically just jump in line. Mm. They look at you and say, I'll follow you if you lead me. Yeah. If you have influence with me, I'll follow Good. you. But I won't follow you just because you're sitting over there with your feet propped up drinking a spritzer in the corner office barking at commands. Yeah. And that used to be, we all would walk in and go, okay, you're in charge. I'll follow you. Yeah. It's just not true anymore. So what would your advice to that side of the spectrum be to the boomers and to those who are, who are currently sitting with their feet propped up? Or literally maybe or even, yeah, maybe they're not even sitting with, yeah, their feet propped up, but they're Struggling with that feeling of they're entitled, they're lazy, they're not. Yeah, looking at they're the not next following. Generation. Yeah, how how would you encourage them to shift their perspective? Well, the the first thing is you have to be willing to walk in and admit that, mm-hmm. um, and walk in with a sense of authenticity, and say, "Hey, I'm I'm aware of the fact that I'm not aware." Mm. And as soon as you do that, scales start falling off. Yeah. You know the. That, that young leader looks at you and goes, wow, okay, now you're vulnerable. That's good. Now you're transparent, you're honest, you're real, you're, you're being authentic with me, so I'm actually trusting you more. That, that's a big gap right now is a lot of us who are older, we think if I show any sign of, of weakness or if I show that I don't know the answer or if I show that um, I'm not really sure mm-hmm. or if I look at that young leader and say, well, what, what do you think? For many of us, that was weakness. And mm-hmm. that was, you don't do that when you're in charge. Now it's just the opposite. Yeah. You should do that. Yeah. You will gain instant credibility if you ask and pull those young leaders into the conversation. And everybody will say this, well, Brad, what happens if their answer is awful? What, what happens if I give them room, I give them you know, authority and responsibility and mm-hmm. I, I allow them to run free? Well, they're going to make mistakes just like you did. <laughs> um, but you have to be willing to let them have some flexibility and freedom to navigate not just the tasks you give them, but also how they want to get that task done. And, you know, again, this is, this is all like so foreign to many of us because mm-hmm. people lead the way they were led. Yeah. And they always a do. Big shift. It's a massive shift. Yeah. And so now you've got a whole new generation walking in who doesn't want to lead the way they were led. And they won't actually lead the way they were led mm-hmm. and they will leave mm, Yes, if they're not led. They'll go find something else to yep. do. Not because they're jumpers or they're entitled, because now they have options. Mm. And that's the whole free agent mindset is I have options now and nothing wrong with options. Right. So if you want to keep talent, you got you to gotta earn talent today. That's so good. You can't, just, you can't just look at talent and say, well, you're here and now you're stuck and I've got you. Because again, that's the old mindset. 
was you'll stick around here for 40 years. The average 25 year old is going to have 15 to 20 different seasons of career. Wow. That's the going forward. And that's in all categories. It's the church, it's the business world, nonprofit, doesn't matter. 15 to 20. Wow. Our parents probably had maybe two. one or two. <laughs> maybe two. 15 to 20 for the average 20, 25 year old going forward. And you feel like one of the big motivating factors behind creating this space where they feel like they, they want to stay. Again, not that they have to, because they do have so many options, but it's that vulnerability, it's the authenticity, it's the allowing them to be part of the conversation. And I think for so long, we talked about authenticity, like authenticity is, and it's one of our core values here at Cross Timbers, but there's a big difference between authenticity and taking the next step to vulnerability, because yes. authenticity is like, here's where I was, this is what was, what did happen in my life. And then the vulnerability is to be willing to take the walls down enough to say, me as an almost 40-year-old to a 20-year-old, this is where I am today exactly. and en engaging them in the conversation. And that feels scary. It is. And it's, it always is the more, the more influence you have, the more you actually are in charge, the, the, the more you're tempted to want to hide things or to, you know, to create a perfect persona or to sort of put your best foot forward. Right. And, and I'm not saying that you, you lead with, with constant sense that, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. Right. I'm not worthy. Somebody else make the decision. That that's that's not what we're talking about. What right. we are talking about is this idea that I'm I'm see throughable. Mm -hmm. Like there's no difference between what you get here and what you might get somewhere else. Yeah. There's congruency. Yes. And that congruency is the hardest thing for most leaders. Mm -hmm. Because if we're honest, most of us we act a certain way in certain environments. When when somebody walks in the room, many times we act a certain way. When the yeah. boss comes in, we all sort of, you know, yeah. change persona. We change vernacular. We change language. We, we just change. So what we're always looking for is, well, how do we make sure that doesn't happen? Mm. How do we make sure that there's just this sense of vulnerability, authenticity, honesty, transparency? And when you find that, that's a healthy culture. Those are the cultures people want to work in. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean, I mean, it, those cultures are also, they're very... Um, engaging, meaning that there's lots of actually tension, mm. but it's healthy, it's healthy tension. It's we're fighting for each other. We're fighting for the best idea. We're allowing the best idea to win That's compared good. to a lot of churches where you or nonprofits where you see people that don't want, I don't want to hurt their feelings. <laughs> well, it's not personal. Right. So Patrick Lencioni talks a lot about this. He talks about the, you know, that the foundation of great healthy teams is trust. And once you have trust, then you can, you can lean into tension. You can mm -hmm. lean into conflict yep. because you know you're for each other. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's all, as, as soon as we start moving those directions, then we've got something that's really going to work. The hard part is, though, when more people are involved, yeah. the harder it is. It, it, yep. And, and the quicker, it, if the, at least for me personally, the more people that are involved in a team that I'm leading, the easier it is to pull away from that vulnerability because of right. just the fear of, of what could happen. So That's to, exactly to right. press into it. And then also I feel like the next generation, they could sniff it out like really quick. If, yes. if we aren't vulnerable, they can spot it in, in a quick second. And that is, that's then what they start to look for something else because they can see it. They can sense it. Well, not only can they see it and smell it, they can feel it. And they are, um, they're emotionally, Many of them are emotionally bankrupt 
So they're they're uh, starving yeah. for some some sense of belonging and identity. You know, like who am I and who do I belong to? Who who am I? And who do I belong to? So that's a that's a pain point, a felt need of. It's why depression and anxiety is 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 rampant. off the chart rampant yeah. in in teenagers right now. Yeah, and a lot of that goes back to all kinds of reasons, social media yeah. and other things. But if you're actually giving emotional energy, you know, I emotional IQ EQ is now like one of the biggest things for the next generation. Yeah, because so many of them they don't even know how to express themselves. You know, so you have to create environments that allow for for the idea that you're building family, mm. and family is it's dysfunctional. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, it's schizophrenic. It's yep. everybody's crying half the time, uh -huh. but that, we have each other's back at the end of the day. That's that, again, that's healthy culture. Yeah. Compared to everything above the surface looks really calm and you walk in and you're like, this place is pretty quiet, <laughs> but underneath there's, there's unhealthy tension. So you, that's part of being an authentic team Yeah, is actually embracing. And then, uncovering those things and being willing to talk about them. Good. Okay. I want to shift gears for a second. One of the things that you and I had visited about before our conversation was this difference, but the difference between our calling and our assignment. And, yeah. and I think something that holds up so many people, and maybe some of you that are listening today is we feel like we haven't heard the audible voice of God to say, this is what you're called to do to make a difference. And so it keeps us from actually stepping out to do the things that he has called us in general as believers to do. And then we talked about just this difference between a calling and an assignment. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts and let people hear. Sure. So um, a big part of the reason I like talking about this is because I've had seasons where my identity, and identity is sort of the, the true unchanging pieces of who you are, mm -hmm. where my identity started to get wrapped up in my assignment. Mm. Um, and so when I was leading Catalyst, as an example, you know, I was Catalyst Brad. I loved being the leader of Catalyst. Yeah. And the hard part was actually when it was time to move on and it when it was time to go to a new season of assignment, mm -hmm. I had incorrectly sort of made catalyst my identity and mm -hmm. my calling and my assignment. Yeah. And this is true for a lot of us who, again, we have careers. We, we end up, or any season, mm -hmm. you know, the high school quarterback yeah. that was an all-stater, but then they spend the next five years in their early 20s still like showing up at high school football practice. You're like, bro, move on. You're still wearing your letter jacket. <laughs> but that's because they never actually allowed that season of assignment to be that. Yeah. It became their identity. So real quick, I mean, the, the calling piece is the thing in the middle of those yeah. that actually helps connect the dots. So if you think about identity, that's who you are. It's unchanging. Mm -hmm. um, many of us who follow Jesus, we would, that would be part of our identity now. Right. Okay. So we're, you know, that's an unchanging piece of who you are. Yeah. Um, calling then is why you're here. So if you think about calling, that's these large, wide riverbanks mm. that allow you to have a direction on your life, but it doesn't necessarily tell you exactly what you do. Which is, I think, what we wait for so exactly. often. Yeah. That's what assignment is. Assignment is actually the thing that you do. Mm -hmm. It's what you do. It's, it, might, it, it mostly is a job, yeah. but it also might be a hobby. It might be a side hustle. It might be a fun thing, that, a project that you're working on. So um, calling is the, the center point, though, of all that, and that connects the dots. So I'll give you my example. Yeah. You know, again, when I, was, when I was leading Catalyst, it's a movement of leaders and doing conferences. That was a season of assignment. 
my calling, calling on my life is to influence influencers. Mm. Now, a lot of people have had that calling. It's not my own. I mean, many people probably would say that's their purpose statement yeah. or their why. But for me, that gives me riverbanks to run in. Good. So I know that I'm going to have five to seven seasons of assignment that actually reflect my calling mm. and give evidence to my calling. But if I, if I start thinking that my, my current season, my job is my calling, what happens when I leave? What happens when I move? So if you're a pastor, this is where pastors drive me crazy because they'll say, well, I'm called to Red Dirt Baptist Church <laughs> in Red Dirt, <laughs> Iowa. Well, that's awesome. What happens in two years when you leave? Mm. Is that, does that mean your calling stopped? Does that mean your calling like ended? No, you're just saying it wrong. It's an assignment that should reflect on the calling on your life. Your calling is not necessarily to be a pastor. Mm. Um, it could be. It could be part of the bigger statement on your life. could be that you're called to be pastoral. Yeah. But what, again, what happens when you, if you decide you want to go start a business? Does that mm. mean that your life's over? And we just get really confused on this. So um, that calling statement is so important. And again, as Christians, your calling is to know God and to make him known. Right. But that's, that's your, that's your um, theological and now identical, a, your identity calling. Yeah. There's still a vocational calling on your life because you've been wired certain ways by God. Mm -hmm. You've been gifted with certain talents. You have yep. passions for certain things yep. and where all those things come together. So what's yours, Jamie? Mine is similar to yours, actually. It's to resource and develop leaders. So that's, I mean, it's, I do get to do that in my assignment here at Cross Timbers through our school of ministry and through our, through the Lake Cities campus. And so I do have a passion for, I, I remember as, a young in my, I'm getting older, but in my twenties, I didn't really believe that I was a leader. I didn't re really believe that I could influence other people. Mm. And so there was a couple of key people in my life that helped to turn that light bulb on for me in my early twenties. And from that moment, I knew that I wanted to help other people do that same thing for them to help them discover what are their gifts, what are their passions so that they could use those to make a difference for the kingdom. So That's it's awesome. to help other people have that same light bulb moment that I had. And you've had how many assignments? Have you had a couple? Have you, Cross Timbers is actually, is obviously one of those one, assignments. And a couple of different assignments within Cross Timbers yep. even. So four assignments so far, and I'm almost 40. So, so you, you might have seven or eight. Right. Um, you know, many people then say, well, what about, what about being a parent? That's actually now both a calling and an identity piece. Because mm. now you're a, you're a father or a mother, but that's also a season when you're in a place where you're a grandparent, yeah, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's both, it's actually an identity calling and assignment. Yeah. You know, it starts to get into all those, but what, what the dangerous piece of this is, is when, when we don't have a statement that answers the why question, all of our what's are completely schizophrenic. Mm. And this is the danger for, for the, again, that 25 year old yes. who's going to have 15 to 20 seasons of assignment. If they don't figure out the why statement that connects the dots, then everything they're going to do is just going to be this sense of, well, who's going to pay me the most? Um, you know, what, where do I want to live? And yeah. those are good questions, but you have, you need some kind of anchor that actually connects all those dots together. So you can see, oh, wait, now I see the, the through pattern and this, this story, this arc 
that now goes back over these last 12 assignments I've had and connects the dots. And that's God, God doesn't want us to navigate life and to be constantly asked the question, did I ever find it? Mm-hmm. I think a lot of us make calling really mysterious and it shouldn't be. Right. It doesn't, it's, it's not the thing that we say, there's only one. Yeah. And if I don't find it, I've failed. That's the wrong perspective on the way we should view like what God has called us to. So give yourself permission actually. And the best way, you know, practically the best way many times to figure out what that is, is to just, keep, just start saying yes, especially in your 20s yeah. and 30s. Just say yes. The more yeses you have, the more you will go trial and error. Okay, well, that, that really didn't seem like it was the sweet spot. Let's keep moving and let's keep trying to find what it is that I feel like is, is that intersection of where my strengths and talents come together. And I love like that just reinforces what we, where we started the conversation with the guy that you worked with at the ranch, that what you do in your 20s is going to determine what you do in your 70s. So all of those yep. yeses and the trial and error are going to get you to the place that you really want to be in your identity, your calling, and your assignment once you get to your 70s. And and not be at your 70s and looking back and wishing, I wish I wouldn't have made that calling thing so mysterious. I wish I would have said yes to more. I wish I would have. And, and, and what's interesting about midlife crises, a lot of us have them. They're actually speeding up. They're now first quarter crises. Mm. So a lot of people are having them in their 20s and 30s. But yeah. the reason people have many times a midlife crisis is because they finally discovered what their calling is, but they can't go pursue it because they have all these barriers to potentially getting there now. Wow. Meaning they have a mortgage and they have three kids and they've got like they've got a lot, nothing wrong with those lifestyles. Those yeah. are those are pieces you have to steward. Right. But John Acuff talks a lot about this, yep. you know, with his all of the stuff he writes about. And so when you're at that place where you go, man, I feel like now I've, I'm, I'm, I'm moving towards that spot, but you can't go pursue it. Mm-hmm. That can be really, really frustrating. And, um, you know, you got to navigate that many times though in those places. But I would say this, if you find yourself in that spot, do as much as possible to move as much as uh, much of your time and energy towards it. And it doesn't mean you have to get paid to do it. Mm-hmm. That's the other thing. Mm-hmm. If you're, if your calling lines up with your assignment and you're actually able to navigate like, oh, I get paid to do this. That's a bonus. Bonus, exactly. <laughs> Most of us never do that. Right? That's good. Okay. So in a couple, a couple of minutes, I want you to tell everybody about your newest book, H3 Leadership. Um, just to wrap up our conversation, I want everybody to hear. It's, a, it's really a lot of what we've been talking about in this conversation mm-hmm. about the who and the what and um, the how. So give us just a brief synopsis of the book. Yeah. And- so H3 is be humble, stay hungry, always hustle. Be humble, stay hungry, always hustle. That's my leadership mantra. And it's something that's been sort of a theme and a you know three-legged stool, I guess you could say, all my life. And it really, a couple years ago, I, um, I wrote the book because I felt some of my own leadership getting stale. Mm. I felt like I was actually starting to spend way, much, way too much time on the hustle piece. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm a type... I'm a three on the Enneagram. I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a D, uh-huh. I'm a uh, ENTJ, I'm an achiever. So I started to see a lot of the, you know, the hustle part really coming alive, but a lot of the other pieces were starting to get left behind mm. and just trying to think, what are the habits that I want to now put in place? I just turned, you know, 40 at that point. So I was thinking sort of halftime, what are the habits I want to put in place for the next 40 years? Yeah. 
that will sustain me and actually be able to go on the leadership journey and finish the race well. And so there's 20 habits that are sort of encapsulated in these three buckets of humble, hungry, and hustle. Very and hopefully they're the habits that I'm going to, you know, continue to live out and and, pa- and pass on to the next generation. Absolutely. So it's very practical. Oh, wow. the, sh- the chapters are short. Um, it's funny because there is there is so much for me um, value. I would say in looking back at the first half mm. and the lessons I learned. So a lot of the book is actually about things I've failed at and things that I wish I would have done better. Mm. You know, around these three buckets. Very good. Well, everybody, hop online today. Order your copy of H3 Leadership. Brad, thank you so much for joining us, not just for 10K Tuesday, but for our Difference Makers podcast. We're looking forward to having everybody back for our 10K Tuesday. First Tuesday in August, we have Carrie Newhoff coming to join us. Ooh, Carrie. Yes, it's going to be. I like Carrie. It's going to be exciting. He's a way bigger deal than any of us. (laughs) We're excited to have him, and we look forward to having you back for our next episode of the Difference Makers podcast.